This morning we're going to be in Psalms 103, so you would turn with us uh, to Psalms 103. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence, to read your word, to reflect on all of the things that you do in our lives, to reflect upon your character. Or we do thank you for Jenny's life and her faithfulness to you, Lord, her faithfulness to serve you. We pray for Jason and Molly that you would really comfort them and meet them with your love and all those that are impacted by Jenny's life. So God, we thank you for our time together and we love you in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that can happen if you've been married for a while is you can start to take your spouse for granted a little bit. Maybe you're not feeling quite as thankful or grateful or you've failed to see some of the benefit of, of marriage. You've kind of forgotten a little bit of, of the sweetness of, of marriage. I think we would all admit that there's a few days like that, right? And then there's those times of marriage where we're really thankful and we're grateful and we're, we're appreciative. If you have been at a job, say, five years, seven years, you've been there a little while, over 10 years, you might get to a place where you kind of forget some of the benefits of that particular job. Take it for granted a little bit and even begin to complain. If we compare that to the first week that we were there and how excited we were to have the opportunity, but we've kind of forgotten what the benefits of that particular job is. Sometimes as parents, we would probably admit and agree that we would forget some of the benefits of being the parent to our children. My uh, 16-year-old daughter, she played a song for me this week, and the lady that wrote the song is not able to have kids. And you can hear the pain and the sorrow in her heart as she's wanting to have children, this popular artist. She has everything that the world has to offer but she really wants to, to be a mom. Every kid is a gift from God. Every conception is a miracle that takes place, but sometimes we forget. Sometimes as we are walking through daily life with our kids, we forget what a, what a blessing they are. We would all admit in different circumstances of life that we would forget. Here, David is making sure that in his relationship with God, he doesn't forget all of God's benefits. To bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me, bless the Lord. And even more so, sometimes as the children of God, we may start to develop an attitude where we have forgotten the benefits of what it means to be in relationship with a living God. Our attitude towards our relationship with the Lord kind of becomes one of, oh, Sunday morning. Guess I got to go to church, right? I better do my devotions. I better read my Bible because that's what Christians are supposed to do. And the amazing joy of our salvation, the richness of knowing that we are forgiven. So David, who's the author of this song, he gives careful detail to make sure that he doesn't forget, that he never forgets the benefit of knowing God. Bless the Lord, verse 1, O oh my soul, all that's within me, bless his holy name. 
speaking to his soul, something that David often did in the Psalms is saying, okay, soul, mind, motion, will, the inner man, the inner person, it's time for you to worship the Lord. It's time for you to bless the Lord. If we wait until our soul feels like blessing the Lord, we may be waiting a long time. Sometimes our soul is there, but other times our soul is not. The last thing that our soul wants to do is to worship the Lord. What David shows us here is that we are in control of our soul. That we're not just victims to our soul, that whatever our emotions are telling us, that we have to follow along like a dog on a leash. It's the other way around. We get to control our soul. And even though our soul's telling us one thing, we can speak back to our soul and say, soul, it's time for you to bless the Lord. Everything that's within me, David says, I'm going to worship. I'm going to bless the Lord. It's glorifying to God for us to worship the Lord. And it's also good for us, his children. As we're thankful, as our spirit is worshiping, it's the best thing for us. We were created to be able to worship the Lord. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So in blessing the Lord, also David's calling himself to this place of remembrance, saying, I want to be careful to remember all of the benefits that come with a relationship with God, the benefits of knowing who God is. We tend to be forgetful, don't we? Sometimes it's hard to remember some significant events from January 2019, let alone January 2015, right? Life's going so quick and we forget. God knew that his people would be forgetful, the Israelites, so he did many things to help them remember his faithfulness in their lives. Passover, when they were delivered from slavery in Egypt, God gave them the feast, the feast of Passover. We're there to kill a lamb once a year to remember how God had caused deliverance as they put lamb's blood upon the door of their homes. Death passed over their homes, but visited the Egyptian home, and Pharaoh said, that's enough. Get out of Egypt. They're remembering when judgment passed over. So every year, this is taking place so that the next generations would know and understand what God had done. The Feast of Tabernacles was one week where the children of Israel all stopped their jobs, moved out of the cities, and had a big camping trip. Can you imagine? Some of you out there love tent camping, and some of you hate it. You, you hate it, right? But everybody had to build these tents, and they would remember their time of wandering in the wilderness and God's faithfulness and tell the stories of God giving bread from heaven and water from the rock. When they come into the promised land, the Jordan River, the first step into the Jordan River was one of faith. The priests had to step in with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders and God dried up the Jordan River, heaped it up so that they could walk across on dry ground. Joshua says, I want 12 guys, one guy from each of the tribe of Israel, probably the strongest guys in the tribe. I think I would have been chosen, don't you? <laughs> looked at my stature. <laughs> so the 12 strongest guys get these rocks and then pile them up as a memorial so that they would remember God's faithfulness. So children would say, why? 
Why is there this huge pile of rocks? And they would tell the story to remember. What we're going to do in just a few moments of taking communion together, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. God knew that we could forget what's the most important, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That we could make a relationship with God about other things, our own performance. But it's not about that. It's about what Christ has done for us, his broken body and his shed blood. What is it in our lives that's going to help us to remember God's faithfulness, the benefits of being his child? Is it journaling? Is it sharing with others? Is it singing? But to be careful to say, I want to give attention to remember all of the benefits. So David begins to list these things in his song. Who forgives all your iniquities? Aren't you thankful that it doesn't read who forgives some of your iniquities? But the really bad ones he doesn't forgive, right? He forgives all of your iniquities because of the sufficiency the magnitude, the worth of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus is enough to forgive us of all of our sins. The Bible tells us that as we trust Christ's death and resurrection, we're justified, we're declared righteous by God. We positionally move to a place where we're forgiven by the Lord. We're robed in Christ's righteousness. There's no other person, there's no other place that can Result in the forgiveness of sins, to lift the weight of sin off of your back. If you're the child of God, you know the joy of forgiveness. You know this morning the joy of saying, all of these other things can be going wrong in my life, but I know that I am forgiven by God. David puts this at the top of his list. David was a man after God's own heart, but he was also a murderer. He was an adulterer. There is nothing in the law that provides provision for adultery and murder. According to the letter of the law, David should have been stoned. It should have been capital punishment. The only reason that he was alive was because of the grace and the mercy of God. There is no sin that is greater than the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And we may feel that our life is the exception, that there's some sin in our life that is beyond the blood of Jesus forgiving us of our sins, but it's just not true. There may be things that we've struggled with this week, sin that we've committed this week. God forgives all of our sins as we confess our sin to him. This causes us to be the most grateful people who heals all of your diseases. Now, the question of this is just the timing. Sometimes God heals in this life, but other times he heals by taking us into eternal life. Isn't heaven a healing? Heaven's the ultimate healing. You never again will get sick in heaven. You will never have to go back to a doctor's appointment or to Costco pharmacy or Walmart pharmacy to get any kind of medication. No aches, no pains, none of that. God is going to heal all of your diseases. Sometimes in this life, but for sure in eternal life. In verse 4, who redeems your life from destruction. That could be the tagline for all of us. He redeems our life from destruction. Our life is headed towards destruction because of our sin. Our sin nature, the sin that we commit, the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So 
through his death and resurrection, he has bought back our life. He has redeemed our life from destruction. He is committed to finishing that good work that he has started in us. He is the redeemer. He's the God who redeems and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. David knew what it was to be crowned, to be crowned as king. And what distinguishes us, a crown would distinguish, what distinguishes us is God's loving kindness. That God has placed his love upon us. Isn't that a benefit of being the child of God? I'm loved by God. I get to wear the love of God. I get to declare that. John, the disciple in the New Testament, as he wrote the Gospel of John, never refers to himself by his name, only the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's wearing the loving kindness of God. He's crowned with the loving kindness of God and also the tender mercies of God. Mercy is God not giving us the judgment that we deserve. Mercy is God's everlasting love towards us, and God is tender with his mercy. Sometimes mercy's not very tender. Sometimes mercy sounds like this, you better never do that again. You're lucky that I didn't just knock your lights out. You're a moron, and this time I'm going to let you pass. How does that kind of mercy feel? You're like, could you please just spank me, right? Can you please just give me the consequence? Because you shaming me makes me feel worse, you know? God doesn't give mercy of, where were you? You should do better. And all of this condemnation placed upon us, his, his mercy that he gives towards us is, is tender, it's, it's kind. In verse 5, who satisfies your mouth with good things, with good things. Maybe you look back at your life before you knew Christ as your Savior and you would describe it as a life of dissatisfaction. From going from one thing to the next and there was no desire for good things. Good things were boring. Why would I want to read the Bible? Why would I want to be committed to a marriage? Part of the redemption that God brings in our lives is he satisfies our mouth with good things. Now we have a hunger for God's word and we find it so satisfying. We have a hunger to be with God's people and it's so wonderful. We start living our lives according to his ways and we go, oh, it's satisfying. I had no idea. God is the ultimate satisfier. Jesus is the bread of life. He satisfies the longing of our soul so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Eagles were known for having vigor and vitality even in old age. Have you ever met someone, a believer, a brother or sister in Christ, and they're old in years, but their spirit is young? Because they've been being renewed by the Lord as they've walked with the Lord. Paul writes and says the outward man is perishing every day. The body is decaying is falling apart, but the inward man is renewed day by day. One of the amazing things that God can do is that he can renew our spirits to where we have a youthful spirit even as we get older. <laughs> Church, this is only the work of God because my observation is as people get older and I get older apart from Christ, we just get more grumpy, Right? Older people just tend to be more cynical and, and grumpy apart from Christ doing this 
renewing work. It was a week and a half ago, my family and I were driving to church on a Wednesday night. I'm driving the minivan. My daughter, Ailey, who's nine years old, she says, Dad, there's a check engine light on on the dash. I look down at the dash. I'm like, I don't see anything, Ailey. I don't think so. Like, there's, there's nothing on the dash. And she's like, no, Dad, there is. So I look a little closer, and just underneath the steering wheel where I couldn't see, the battery light came on. In my driving career, I've never seen the battery warning light come on. I'm like, this is weird. So we get to church, do, do church, get back into the car, start driving home. Sure enough, that battery light's back on. Then the van goes to all systems fail. <laughs> and the light for the clock is flashing. The headlights are dimming. The brakes, the ABS brakes, they're, they're failing. The traction control system is trailing. The van's starting to do this on Academy. I mean, it was just severe, right? So I'm like, all right, kids, let's pray. Everybody pray. Like, Lord, just get us home. I'd, we don't want to be stuck on Academy. And we sputter into our neighborhood up our hill and get it, in, get it into the, to the garage and get it to the mechanic. Turns out it was the alternator. And I'm not a mechanic. I don't know a lot about cars. But the alternator charges the battery, renews the battery. With the alternators out, then the battery gets so weak that the battery then can't support all of these systems in your car. Let me tell you, the battery supports a lot of systems in your car. <laughs> it does more than just start your, start your car. So I've been thinking about this, and it reminded me of spiritual burnout. If your alternator is bad spiritually, your soul is going to get so low that before long, it's all systems fail just can't continue to function. And the renewing comes from fellowship with God. Fellowship with God is your spiritual alternator. In Isaiah 40, this is what God says to us. He says, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth sh shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Where does the renewal happen? Those that wait upon the Lord. Where we pause, we take time out, draw near to God, knowing that he's going to draw near to us, worshiping him, being in prayer being in the Word. Have you ever walked away from some time in the Word and you're just, oh, I feel so renewed. I think you felt it even after our time of worship together this morning. We sing to the Lord, we bless the Lord, we wait upon the Lord, you go, man, something's happening in my soul, right? So as we wait upon God, we're renewed. He's the one who's able to renew us. In verse 6, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Part of what God does, part of the benefits of who God is, is he executes righteousness and he executes justice. The second coming of Christ is Christ coming as the conquering king who's going to right all wrongs. And specifically, God's righteousness and justice is for those that are oppressed. Throughout the scripture, one of the themes that you'll see is God's heart for the orphan. 
God's heart for the widow, God's heart for the poor, because oftentimes those are the ones who are oppressed, even to this day. And God says, no, I'm going to stand up for the widow. I'm going to stand up for the orphan. I'm going to stand up for the one that has no voice. God's also the communicator in verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. He gave his word, the law, to Moses. He communicated his, his acts to the children of Israel. God's communicated through his word and ultimately communicated through his son. Jesus is the express image of the Father. Verse 8 shifts the focus from what God does to who God is. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. The Lord is merciful. This is who he is. He gives mercy. He gives everlasting love. He doesn't give the judgment that we deserve. When you think about God, if someone were to ask you, can you describe the character of God? And you are answering from the depths of your soul, not just what you know you should say. Sometimes as Christians, we go, well, I know this is the right answer, so I'm going to give that. But what you really believe about God, deep down in your heart, him towards you, do you believe that God is merciful? Do you believe that he is gracious? Not only withholding judgment, but giving unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't work for it. But because of Christ, he pours out favor in our lives. Do you believe that God is gracious towards you? Do you believe that God is slow to anger, right? Or do you believe that God's just waiting for you to step out of line and he's going to fry your face off? Like You've just done it now. Deep down, you're really convinced God doesn't like you because of your struggles. Well, I know God loves me, but I don't think he likes me. What? What kind of garbage is that? Where'd you come up with that, right? Yeah, he loves me, but he doesn't want to spend any time with me. No. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. This is very different from us. We're quick to anger. But God's slow to anger, and he's abounding in mercy. Not just a little bit of mercy, but overflowing in mercy, overflowing in steadfast love towards us. Believe God at his word. Take him as his character, who he promises to be. Verse 9, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. So judgment does come. Eventually judgment does come, but God's desire is that none would perish. I love verse 10. For he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. What if God dealt with us according to our sin? What if he punished us according to our iniquities instead of giving us Jesus who was punished for our sins? We're so blessed that God is so gracious to us. In verse 11, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. David's looking up at heaven, looking up at the stars, going, as high as the heavens are from the earth, God's mercy is towards those that fear him. To fear the Lord is to love him, to respect him, to be in awe of him, to put him into his proper place. As we fear the Lord, then he gives mercy to us. We know that the Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 
light years in diameter. We hear these big numbers, and that's, that's hard to comprehend. The speed of light, 100,000 years in diameter. But the Milky Way, we know to be a small galaxy. There's the Hercules galaxy that's 1.5 million light years across. So God's made the heavens so large that we can't even begin to comprehend, but the scripture's saying that God's mercy is even greater. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Good news. It's good that God didn't say as far as the north is from the south. If you go far enough north, you'll be headed south. Eventually north and south meet, but east and west, they never meet. You're never going to meet up with your sins again. God's removed your sins from you. They're buried with Christ. We're risen in newness of life. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Part of being a parent is you have compassion upon your kids because you've seen the whole journey. You remember the ultrasound. You remember getting to look inside of the womb and go, oh, this is pretty cool. You were right there at birth, seeing them at their first moments, getting to hold them, walking with them through these different journeys of life where they get to feed themselves for the first time. That's always an adventure. Learning to walk, riding their bike, going to kindergarten, all of these steps and journeys. So when you look at your children, you you see that whole package and you're like, oh, I've got compassion towards you. I've I've watched you through your journey. So as a father pities a child, has compassion upon a child, God has compassion on us because he remembers our frame. He knows our frame, that we're dust. He looks at us and he goes, you guys are dirt clots, right? He remembers creating Adam out of the dust of the earth and breathing into Adam. The same elements that are in us are in the dust of the earth. Now, don't get me wrong. You're a loved dirt clod. You're you're created in God's image. Jesus died for you. You couldn't be more loved. But God looks at you and goes, I've got compassion on you. Your frame is dust, right? Sometimes I think our expectations of ourselves is far more than God's expectation for us. We're so surprised when we fail and when we sin. I can't believe I sinned. I can't believe that I failed, right? And God's looking at us. I'm not surprised. You're a dirt clod, right? I have compassion on you. And that's the heart of this loving father towards us. Verse 15 and 16 describe just how frail we are. As For a man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. Such a short season of flourishing. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone. The flower's gone. The grass is gone. Our life is gone. And its place remembers it no more. We like to think that we're going to be remembered. And we'll be remembered by immediate family and friends and children. As long as they're alive. My grandma, my kids didn't know my grandma. They, they hear stories of my grandma, but they didn't know my grandma. Once I pass away, the membranes of my grandma is gone. It's done. One or two generations, and I hate to break it to you, you're not going to be remembered. There were people living in Colorado Springs in 1920. Do you know them? 
do you remember them? Did they have impact upon your life? Maybe some family members that you've heard stories about. Let's take it a little bit further back. There were people living here in the late 1800s, here in Colorado Springs at the base of Pikes Peak, but they're, but they're not remembered, right? So our lives, two or three generations, aren't going to be remembered. But church, that's okay. Why? Because the name of Jesus is remembered. The mercy of God's remembered. That's the focus in verse 17. We'll be forgotten, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. So we won't be remembered, but God's mercy is going to be remembered. And it's going to be remembered forever from everlasting to everlasting. And those who fear the Lord, then God's mercy, the knowledge of God's mercy is getting passed from generation to generation. God's going to be faithful to our children's children. Verse 18, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. How do we keep his covenant? The new covenant or under the new covenant? By trusting in the finished work of the cross. As we continue to believe in Christ's finished work, we're keeping his covenant. We're remembering his commandments. In verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Did you know that God is not in danger of being impeached? (laughs) It doesn't matter what kind of campaign that we come up with to say, we're tired of God, so we're going to impeach God. We're going to take God off of his throne. We don't have the power to do that. Humanity does not have the power to do that. His throne is established in heaven. God is not concerned about trying to get reelected. Amen? He's not going, I got to get reelected by, by popular vote. His throne is established and his kingdom is overall. So here's David's then response. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you minister of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I think David's the ultimate worship leader. And he's got the boldness to call the angels out and saying, come on, bless the Lord. The hosts of heaven, bless the Lord. All of creation, bless the Lord. But then he challenges his own personal soul and says, bless the Lord, O my soul. I want to take you to a place, maybe take you back to a place, or take you to a place for the first time where it's you and God, where you're not worried about all of the other distractions. And as much as we love our families and are thankful for our jobs and appreciate our church, where we get our eyes off of our families for a moment, we get our eyes off of our church, we get our eyes off of our job, we get our eyes off of our own health and our own circumstances, and we put our focus upon God and his character and who he is, and we begin to worship him, we begin to extol him. The Bible tells us that we get to enter into his presence, to the Holy of Holies, where in this moment, in this time, it's the audience of one. It's, it's you and the Lord, and you're singing your song to the Lord. You're blessing the Lord with all of your soul and thanking him for who he is and what he has done in your life. That's what I see in David. He's, he's entering into what we talked about last week, that secret place of the Most High, and saying, I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to bless the Lord. Maybe we've gotten a little bit forgetful. 
Maybe we've forgotten how blessed we are. There are so many benefits that come to knowing the one true living God. Maybe there's this little voice in the back of your head that says, I'm missing out. I should be living my life in the world. You are not missing out. The blessings come of knowing the Lord. Not that it's an easy life, but man, it's a blessed life. So this morning as we take communion, as we enter into communion together, let's bless the Lord. The elements are here in the front. The elements are in the back. Come and receive an element and go back to your seat. And then when you're ready to take communion, thank the Lord. Thank Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being the bread of life that was broken for my sin. Thank you that your blood forgives me of my sin and that you're the lifter of my head. Take some time to wait upon the Lord and confess sin to the Lord. Isn't trash day wonderful? When you get to go through your house, your apartment, and get all the trash out. Well, this morning is spiritual trash day. To come before the Lord and say, what's rotting inside that needs to be dealt with and out of his grace and his forgiveness for him to, to cleanse us and to meet us in communion. If you don't know Christ as your savior, if you haven't come to a place of, of trusting him, what brings us into forgiveness is to believe. It's not that everyone is forgiven. It's not universal salvation. Jesus died and everyone's saved. The way that we're saved is through faith. You get to choose to believe in Christ, to accept him or reject him. And if you'd like to accept him, you realize you're a sinner and to repent and turn from sin and say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and you rose again. I want you to be my savior. As people come to take communion, ministry team will be available here on the sides by these doors where it's a little quieter. Come let us know. I would love to receive Christ as my savior. Church, isn't it awesome that there is a risen savior, Jesus, who wants to meet with you in communion today? That's awesome. He's alive. He's here. He's alive in our lives. The book of Revelation tells us that Jesus walks in the midst of his church. So as we're gathered together, Jesus is in our midst. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And this isn't just a tradition that we do to take communion, but a very personal time with our risen Savior. So let's stand together, let's pray, and we'll enter into communion. Father, you know our hearts and our minds and our soul. And you know how forgetful we are of who you are, all that you've done in our lives. We're so thankful that we're forgiven. We're so thankful that we're redeemed, that we get to wear the crown of your loving kindness and your tender mercy, that you do satisfy our mouth with, with good things. You're such a good father. We thank you that you're merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. You have compassion on us. We thank you that you're going to meet us here in communion, that you've provided Jesus, his broken body and his shed blood. So God, would you bless each person this morning as they take communion? Would you minister to their hearts and their minds? So God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.